Father, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for, brought us, for bringing us here. And as I look around, people from every nation represented here because of your grace. So we commit this time into your hands and pray that you will speak to us through your word. We ask you for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you, Van. Cornerstone, John, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. It's uh, been a privilege for Friends International to partner with Cornerstone for many years. Some of your people have worked with us. We celebrated Lisa's work with Friends International last year, was that? It was last year. And thank you for the support that many of you give to Madeleine, Lydia, Jenny, uh, Josh and Diana from this church and all the volunteers and hosts that welcome international students. Last year, according to the office of uh, the statistic office, higher education statistic agency, tells us that tell us that 14,000 international students came to the city of Nottingham to the two campus. 14,000. That's more students from abroad than they are in the village that I currently live in. So it's an amazing opportunity to share the gospel uh, and share our lives with them. We don't Bible watch them. We just be Christian. And they tend to ask us why we do what we do and why do we believe what we believe. I don't know you, but certainly in the last three and a half years, Years, it seems that the world has changed beyond recognition. You know, I used to say, uh, if my mom or my grandma, if I told her, Grandma, I am in the middle of the ocean, but I'm going to call you for your birthday. She would say, like, what? But today we take it for granted. You know, we used to carry big video cameras for some of you who are young. You don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. We used to carry big machines, you know, that used to carry on our shoulder with a big tape, and we felt cool. Or a Walkman, you know, it used to be a tape inside there, you know, and, and, and used to wind it with a pen. Ask your parents, children, if you don't know what I'm talking about. But that's compared to the changes that we have experienced in the last three years, is nothing. You see, the COVID pandemic suddenly brought to us a new realization that we are not really in control of things, particularly when the wealthy, developed nations suffer as much, if no more, than underdeveloped nations. Something that happened across the world almost simultaneously. And he brought that sense of helplessness. We don't control this. Now, next week, here in the UK, we're going to have a conference about AI. Now, many of us saw the movie AI a number of years ago. And said, oh, how cool. And now, is it actually, it's not that cool. <laughs> you know, our prime minister saying that the potential for human extinction is there. Because if a technology is developed without control, can lead to negative results. 
Now, he was saying that, obviously, because he wanted to put some caution and try to control the development on that. He wasn't trying to just bring fear for the sake of it. But it's a reality. We don't control that. The other thing that we have come to realize is that we are so um, driven by our media, aren't we? You know, the focus, earthquake in Haiti, oh, Haiti, then earthquake in Afghanistan. Where was the earthquake last time around? Oh, earthquake in Iran, war, conflict, Ethiopia, Eritrea. And suddenly the, the, the camera moves and our attention moves with it. Do you follow what I'm saying here? We are concentrated on the conflict in the Middle East, but we forget that across the equator, there are conflicts that affected millions of people. We don't talk about the Rohingya people anymore, or the Uyghurs, or the conflict in Sudan, or the conflict in South Sudan, or the conflict in Colombia, or the conflict. You see what I'm saying? Because there's so much going on that has actually brought to light the selfish desire of world powers, that they are pushing for their own benefit, not necessarily for the benefit of people. And it has had lighted as well, even this week, the weakness of world organizations that call for peace, but there is no peace. And in a way, we live in a new reality, but it's not that new. Because if you are a reader of history, you realize that we are repeating the same mistake of the past because when man tried to look to ourselves for solutions, we end up in the same place, hurting others. But because we are in a situation where there is a lot of uncertainty in the environment, the economy, the politics, and the list goes on, it questions the fact, where do you put your hope? If your hope is in government things or institution, you are in for a disappointment. But we as Christians have a hope that is greater than all these things and is based in the one who gave his life for us on the cross who promised and fulfilled what he said, and the last promise is that he's coming back again. The, our hope is based in Christ. Christ Jesus, who is faithful to, his, to keep his promise. And it's not just to take us to a better place, but to renew the whole creation that he intended to be, and we are now citizens of heaven. Amen? Our hope is built in something strong, unshakable, unmovable. Therefore, we shall not fear, because we are in the Lord's side. This situation of uncertainty, however, it does help us to understand a little bit the pressure, the fear, the feelings that the early church had to endure. And we are getting to the passage that we read a moment ago. You see, 
I love this passage. So when John said the book of Acts, and I said, oh, can we do this chapter? Do you know why? <laughs> because I believe this is the first international student ministry outreach in the New Testament. <laughs> a man that was a student trying to understand came to look for truth. You, you follow my drift? You know, first international, I'm going to claim that, first international student outreach of the New Testament. Okay, if you're a theologian and you disagree with me, talk to me after coffee, that's okay. <laughs> Before we go to the passage, let's just recap a little bit. And I'm sure, I think I read in your website that you preached about this about five years ago on Act 8. There you go. So if you want to hear the theological understanding of this, Go to the website and the sermon page, you're going to find John's sermon. In all seriousness, Dr. Luke, who is also the author of the Gospel of Luke, describes the church gathering in Jerusalem at the command of Jesus. And they were there praying, and Pentecost came. And Peter spoke. And over 3,000 people came to grace. Remember that? And they were still there. Days, weeks later. Although the command of Jesus was to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every nation. But they were there. They were preparing themselves, preaching the gospel. Until Stephen was murdered by the religious leaders. And it's interesting, Dr. Luke said, and Paul was there approving. That created a persecution, and the church in Jerusalem accepted the, the 12 disciples, scattered around the place. And one of those people that ran for his life was Philip. It's interesting, but we don't know much about Philip, because if the 12 apostles still stayed in Jerusalem. It couldn't have been the apostle uh, Philip. So it was Philip the evangelist, the friend of Stephen. So Stephen, his friend, had just been murdered. Uh, but we hear from him in chapter 6 of the book of Acts. Remember that the church had grown. And a lot of Hellenistic uh, Jews, those Greek-speaking Jews, became Christians. And... In the New Testament time, you know, the, the, the poor, the widows, they used to get their supplies from the temple. But because they became this gathering movement, the church felt that they needed to supply the needs of the orphan and the widows and the, the distribution of food. But the Hellenistic Jews felt that they were not being taken care of. So the disciples pray about it and think, okay, and talk to the people, you nominate Seven people that will look after this. And it's interesting, the, the qualities that they ask. It wasn't not a uh, food, health, and hygiene certificate, uh, level whatever, two, three, or whatever it is, or management consultants in order to manage the crowds and the distribution of food. But it was men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, I don't know how many churches and mission agencies have in their job description the men required or the women required for this role needs to be a person full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? That is the quality that Philip was required to have. 
So fleeing the persecution, the disciples went and shared their lives and proclaimed Jesus with others. And Philip, again, most probably a Hellenistic Jew because of his name, discovered that God was preparing the heart of the people in Samaria to receive the good news. And Luke tells us that many came to faith. And we read this thing and we just gloss over it. Well, that's great. But you see, it was such a mega step for Philip to go to Samaria. Because you need to understand a little bit of the history of the people of Israel. In the 10th century, after Solomon's son took over, there was such a serious civil unrest because they didn't want to uh, be governed by Solomon's son because he was a little bit of a um, not very wise man, put it that way. The Israel, Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom with ten tribes, with the capital Samaria, and the southern kingdoms. Do you remember that? Just short history, Sunday school stuff? Well, in the 10th century, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and took many of them into exile. Now, you need to understand that when we talk about exile in the Old Testament, that was like a ethnic cleansing. If you were taken away from your land, the likelihood of you returning was close to zero. Basically, you were scattered, and that's it. Your land, your nation is gone. However, there were some, a few Sumerians that stayed behind, a, a, a remnant. And, but they were excluded from Jerusalem, where the temple was, when the center of Hebrew religion, uh, Jewish religion was. In the 8th century before Christ, so 10th century now, 200 years later, the Babylonian Empire invaded Jerusalem and took many of them into exile again. The Daniels of this world and other of the prophets. But by God's grace, as a miracle, they came back. Uh, some of them came back to rebuild the temple. And now the Samaritans say, hey, the ones that stay behind, you know, after the Assyrians took them, they left them there, say, can we help you to, to build the temple? And the returnees say, <laughs> get away. They snob at them. They rejected their help because they considered them impure. That drift lasted hundreds of years until that moment. So they couldn't talk to each other. They hated each other, and Philip went there. You see what I'm, what the, the significance of this man going? And then he was seeing the power of God at work in such a way that miracles happened. People were being set free from evil spirits. Healing was happening. It was so awesome that the church in Jerusalem said, Peter, John, you better go and see what's happening there. It was so good. You need to read the book. You know, read the rest of chapter 8 because I need to get to the passage. It was so cool. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and said, go to the road that go from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I love the fact that Luke adds, 
and it was a desert road, like just emphasizing the fact that it was in the middle of nowhere. So this would be like John saying, I am so excited to be the pastor of Cornerstone. The Lord is doing miracles here. People coming to Christ. People are being healed, saved. The Lord is doing amazing. I such a privilege to be the pastor of Cornerstone. Next text message on social media. But I feel the Lord is sending me to the middle of, what would be the middle of nowhere? I better not say any place in case you are from there. But I am being called to go to the middle of this village in the middle of nowhere. Um, not, don't know why. But I'm going. Most of us was in China. <laughs> uh, have you seen your psychiatrist, uh, you know, the doctor recently? Or you, we think, this is crazy. Why would you go there? But Philip, when hearing voice, the God's command to go, he didn't know why, but he went. And you see, I think that this is an important lesson from Philip and, he stayed, uh, and this is a step of faith. Our love for the Lord and our obedience to him should always be about what we do for him. Sometimes we are so busy on doing things for God that we forget the important part that we were commanded to do is abide <laughs> In him. You see, the Holy Spirit is in us, indwells us. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. And he, the Spirit of God is willing to guide and direct us. That hasn't changed. But perhaps the problem is that often we are too busy to listen to him. That we become inoculated to listen to the, to the voice of the Lord. And rather to listen to him, we are saying, God bless my plan. After we have made the decision. Obviously that doesn't happen to you. It's, it's just I'm talking about a friend. <laughs> we need to surrender. And allow the Lord to control our lives. But really mean it. Not after we made the decision. And said Lord. I already started. But could you bless that. If we surrender our lives. And allow the Lord to speak to us. The Holy Spirit will do that. Act, 20, Act 8, 27. So he started out and on his way to meet an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandaki, queen of Ethiopians. This man had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, Philip went to meet this stranger. And this was not just any, any Ethiopian he was the chancellor of the checker of Kandaki. Now, Kandaki sounds like a name, but it's actually a title. It's like the pharaohs of Egypt, Caesar in, uh, in Rome. So it was the, the, the female part of this kingdom that, although say Ethiopia, it's actually what it's now Sudan. This man was an outstanding man. In order to be a servant in the in the, in the court of the Queen of Kandaki, you have to be a trustworthy man, a man that was reliable, a man that the queen need to trust or could trust with the money. So we have this polite and exotic character, you know, Ethiopian could mean dark, and polite because when Philip 
start running across his chariot, he didn't say, away from me, pleb. <laughs> he actually invited him into his chariot to explain. So he was very humble. So this man of wealth, reputation, understood a difficult journey. Now, I'm going to Africa next week for a conference for international student ministry, and it's going to take me about 24 hours, you know. I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning after flying all night. Oh, poor me. This man had to travel 3,000 miles. Now, calculate this for you mathematicians in our midst. If your cohort traveled for 10 hours a day at 10 miles per hour, how long will it take you to reach or to travel 3,000 miles? Well done, a month. Yeah, it will take you a month to get there. So let's imagine the Ethiopian. A month ago, he and his entourage started. They followed the White Nile to the north, and then the Blue Nile. They passed through the city of Khartoum and endured the winds and sand of the, the, Numidian desert, the Numidian desert, picking up the Great Nile again, and then followed its mouth. Then, last but not least, they traded through the great desert of the Sinai Peninsula before finally sunburned, dusty, and tired, they reached the destination, Jerusalem. But most likely, he wasn't allowed in the temple because he was Ethiopian eunuch. And Deuteronomy law indicated that no eunuch, and I can't pronounce that very well, could not enter the temple. A month's travel, all that effort, and he couldn't actually enter the temple to worship. But God saw the heart of this man longing for him, and he sent a prosperous evangelist to say, okay, leave that there. Go to the desert. Go to speak to this man. You see, in many ways, it didn't matter who was he going to meet in the middle of nowhere or in the wilderness or desert. What it matters is that this man, the Ethiopian, was longing for God. And God honored that man's desire. Because of Philip's obedience, when he heard this man reading the passage in Isaiah 53, he was able to ask the question at the right moment. Now, Parenthesis, for you guys, if you read that he was reading aloud, don't think about the tube in London and somebody reading a book aloud. That's not, not, not the case. It wasn't weird. Actually, people used to read aloud because the sentences were all so, uh, there was a lot of punctuations on it. So you have to read it aloud in order to understand the passage. So it's not unusual for somebody to read aloud. That's why Philip was able to, to hear him. But he took the initiative to go. And the passage that he was reading was the suffering servant. What a beautiful passage that described by the prophet Isaiah 700 years ago what the Messiah will be. 
the eunuch invited him to come to his carriage. And starting from that passage, Philip was able to introduce this man as the suffering servant Isaiah was describing centuries early. The eunuch, the eunuch, had been seeking God, willing to travel thousands of miles to worship, but he didn't understand what he was reading. He had the desire, but didn't understand. You see, God's word is essential, but it is difficult to understand unless somebody explains it to you. So I believe that this is a, a strong lesson that we are being given. That giving a person a track is a good step, but it's not enough. We need to get to know them. We need to ask them. We need to volunteer to explain to them, to share with them the hope that we have in Christ. The other thing to remember or to see on this, I don't know if you have your Bibles open with you. Look at chapter 8. And don't count, just look at the distribution of the passage because there is another story in the, in the middle about Simon the magician and how, Paul, uh, how Peter and John deal with him. Forget that one for a second. Just look at the top one. Yeah? Chapter 8. That first few verses there describe the ministry in the city of Samaria by Philip, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Now go to, to verses 26 to 40. Do you see how long? Do you see the similarity there? The author, Luke, took as much time describing the ministry to a city as he took the time to describe the ministry to one man. Could it be that the Lord is saying to us as well that ministry to a city-wide is super important, but the one who is learning for God is so important too. So while we don't want to ignore the city, we should not forget the one who is looking for him. John, this week I was preparing and I was praying about this um, and I received an email. I received an email from one of my team and I won't tell you which city and I'm going to change the name of the email because it contains the story of one of our contacts in the city and uh, he came in touch with our, with our team and on Sunday, last Sunday, he was being baptized. So allow me to read you the story of Amir, not his real name. My name is Amir. I grew up in Iran, a country where most people are Muslims, but I never felt close to Islam or to God. I always had questions and doubts that no one could answer. My faith in Islam started to fade away. After high school, I became more and more skeptical, and I started to look for other ways to find God and meaning in life. I explored different kind of mysticism, but none of them satisfied me. They only made me feel more lost and empty. I gave up finding God, and I accepted that life was meaningless and hopeless. I lived for myself and for material things, but nothing made me happy. I felt I was missing something important in my life. Around two years ago, I came to this country and I hope to begin a fresh journey. But I still felt the same emptiness in my heart. I joined some English conversation groups, and one was an iCafe. There, 
I met some friendly people who invited me to their Bible study group. They were friends, international workers. We're going to call them Anna and Ben, A and B, Anna and Ben, you know. A kind couple who showed me God's love in practical ways. They taught me about, Bible, about the Bible and about Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, and who came to this world to die for my sins and rise again to give, my, to give me eternal life. They explained to me God's love. They explained to me God loves me so much that he wanted to have a, relation, a personal relationship with him. They encouraged me to turn away from my sins and believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. One night, after the iCafe event, when we were talking about the Bible, I felt something different in my heart. I felt God's presence and his call. I realized how much he loved me and how much he wanted me to be his child. I also realized how much I needed him and how much he could change my life for the better. I decided to respond to his grace and committed to Jesus. I pray with Ben and ask God to forgive me, save me, and change me. Since then, my life has been transformed by God's power. He has given me a new heart, a new identity, a new direction, and he has filled me with his spirit, his wisdom, and his strength. He has blessed me with a loving church family, a supportive friend group, and heavenly hope. Jesus is the light of my life. He is my Savior, my Lord, my friend, and my King. He is the source of all the good things in my life. That is why I want to be baptized today, to declare my love for Him and my commitment to follow Him for the rest of my life. Amen? This is why we do what we do. So people may know that Jesus is God, that this is the hope for the nations. So it's not for us to be in a holy huddle and just be blessed by the Lord, but it's that through us, others may be blessed too. And I believe that the Lord is calling us as his church, as individuals, to depend on his guidance, that the Holy Spirit will guide us through that people that are longing for him. He is working in us and through us. And friends, and apologies for the flippant comment that I'm about to do, okay? God spoke to a donkey. If God spoke through a donkey, there is a chance that he can speak through me and through you. So don't just be looking at your belly button. Oh, poor me. I don't know how to. Trust the Lord, and he will give you the words and the opportunities to share the hope that you have in him. I know that you are cornerstone, but can I hear an amen to that? Fantastic. The question is, are you saying, Lord, here I am. Send me, whether it be my school, my university, my work. Use me so that others may know that you are God. Are we willing? The Lord, the, the, the world needs the hope that only Jesus can give. Philip's obedience was crucial for the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch. And according to tradition, church tradition, he was responsible for the birth of the oldest church in Africa. Our history is still to be written. May the Lord use you and me to bless the nations.
for us as Friends International and Cornerstone, this will mean one student at a time. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We do pray that you will help us not to despair for the situations that are happening around the world, but know that our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, and that we shall not fear because you have defeated the power of sin and death over us, and we have a hope that is precious and that the world needs. So we commit ourselves into your hand. In Jesus' name, amen.